Thanks very much, Hilary, and good evening, everyone. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord Jesus, we do find the idea of treasure on earth alluring, inviting, and seductive, even when we say that we don't. But we want to want to store up treasure in heaven, treasure that cannot be destroyed, no, not even by death itself. Teach us what that means, and teach us to love storing up treasure in heaven, treasure that is valuable both to us ourselves and to others and to yourself. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we reach the conclusion this evening of a series of messages about the world of work. If you were here last Sunday evening, then you would have heard Martin Young speak about um, witnessing in the workplace. Um, As you might imagine, the last of the series, which has been assigned to me, is about what lies beyond work. In other words, retirement Now, we could take uh, various angles on this, I suppose. We could take a statistical angle on retirement. And I could tell you that in New Testament times, the average life expectancy was between 35 and 40. And in our own country, that average life expectancy didn't change very much until about the year 1850, when it began to creep up. By 1950... Life expectancy had risen to about 65. Now it's around 80. Apparently, according to what I've heard, somewhere in the world a person has been born who will live to the age of 150. Just think about that. You're a long time retired, aren't you, if you lived 150? And over half the people born now will live to the age of 100. So the statistics say. We could take the economic angle, and we could, I could remind you that things will be very different when today's young people, half of our congregation, by the look of things, uh, reach their own retirement age. Retirement age itself is set to increase to 70, eventually, and many... Uh, who reach that age in the future may need to work beyond that age in order to eke out their pensions. We could look at it from the cultural angle, glancing at some retirement cards in a shop recently. The main message was very clear about what people wish one another, wish other people on their retirement Relax. Enjoy yourself. Be lazy. Put your feet up. Take a nap. Indulge yourself. You've earned it. Not just messages to sell cards, but it certainly has some uh, rings true with certainly some folks that I have had contact with. A former colleague of mine still in in his early 60s and in good health, said to me, Jonathan, I have perfected the art 
of doing nothing. And there's a lot in our culture that says, yeah, that's what retirement is all about. Then there's a personal angle. I could tell you that I left school at the age of 16. I worked full-time as a nurse and then for much of my career as a teacher of nurses (coughs) until the age of 60 and then have been working part-time since then. It's even more personal for me, this message, because it's just possible that I'll be working my very last day at work on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. It's that close. Um, I'm still not sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big jump to be finishing work. Um, work that I have loved much of the time. Um, and I'm aware too that even though retirement is very personal to me, is very relevant to me, it seems much less so to a number of you. Some of you have not even entered the world of work yet, let alone started to think about retirement. But please bear with me. Um, This is not a reason for um, switching off, because there will be something for you uh, if you listen out. But what about a biblical angle on retirement? Well, that's a problem, because there isn't one. You can look it up in the Bible from Amos to Zephaniah, and all points in between. The word I don't think is mentioned, and the concept or the idea does simply not occur. Retirement is not a biblical idea or concept at all, as far as I can see. So we're going to have to creep into this subject, as it were, by the back door, and find out what the Bible does say about growing older, and what might lie for us, or perhaps ahead of us, for some of us, after we finish uh, paid employment. So with that in mind, I take you back to Psalm 92, which was on page 600 of the Church Bibles, and I remind you, if I may, of the last four verses of Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They'll flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. There's my text. I'm not giving you an exposition this evening, because there's nothing in the Bible to exposit about retirement but I do have a text around which I would like to build some biblical thoughts. There's my text. Still bearing fruit in old age, staying fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. So fruitfulness in old age is our subject. And please don't switch off however young or old you may be. I want to, using this text as a starting point, to um, elaborate my subject in three ways or three directions. The first thing I want to say is, with regard to being fruitful in old age, be prepared. Be prepared. In our text, the cedar and the palm tree have not grown by chance They have been planted deliberately, and they have been cultivated carefully. 
It's perfectly clear in the language that's used. They have been planted deliberately. And so it is with a fruitful old age. It does not tend to happen by chance. Now, of course, as we grow up and grow older, we are encouraged to plan ahead with regard to our finances and indeed with regard to our physical health so that we can enjoy, hopefully, a comfortable and a healthy older age. But what about preparing our characters for retirement? How does that work and when does that start? There was a psychologist called Eric Erickson who described the development of a person in eight stages from the first year of life to old age. For Ericsson, and for each of these stages, there is a kind of a challenge, a problem to be resolved. In the first year of life, Ericsson said, the challenge to be resolved for an infant in his or her first year of life is to do with trust or mistrust. Do I trust people? Do I trust grown-ups? Do I trust my parents? And if, like me as a nurse, if you have seen a small baby who has not learned to trust its parents, it's a very sad sight. It's quite visible even though the child cannot tell you that they lack trust. Then Erickson, jumping through to Erickson's eighth stage, he says in later life, the last stage of, uh, the last challenge to be faced of this kind is between what he calls integrity and despair. And then you can see this for yourself. You can see one old person who mentally and emotionally is bitter resentful, depressed, deeply unhappy. And you could see another person, maybe physically less healthy than our first person, who has integrity. A person who can look back and look forward, uh, not without pain, not without some regrets and disappointments, but thinking and saying it's okay. Now, the question then is, if Ericsson is right, that we go through these stages from year one to our last years of life, the question is, how do you get like that? Does an old person suddenly become full of despair or suddenly become uh, a person with integrity? You know the answer to this question. It happened a long time ago, (laughs) beginning with the first year of life and the development of trust or mistrust. What we reap in old age had been sown in our youth. The Christian writer S.I. Macmillan puts it like this. The unlovely personality that develops in some senior citizens is not a sudden onset. It is rather the continuation of childhood temper tantrums, the elaboration of teenage assertiveness, the further development of middle-aged grumpiness that has now fully developed into the thorny, sour and crabbed frustrations of old age. 
But it doesn't have to go that way. It can go the other way. But the lesson here is, however young you are, start preparing now for what you hope to be in the distant future. If you are a parent or a grandparent, you too have a role to play in preparing children for later, for their own later life, perhaps long after you are dead. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is a famous saying. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn, to it, turn from it. Timothy's formation had begun in, in, in his own infancy with a godly grandmother, Lois, and the godly mother, Eunice. Start young. Start now. Start today. Preparing for what you hope and pray will be in the future, indeed, in old age. That's the first thing. Be prepared. Secondly, most obviously from our text, be fruitful. Be fruitful uh, in your old age. Uh, The psalmist mentions palm trees. Now, palm trees, I'm looking up in that mostly reliable source of information, Wikipedia, and uh, apparently palm trees have uh, many, many different uses. Um, They provide food, drink, shade, medicines, varnishes, dyes, and they're used in rope-making, basketry, ornamentation, and so on and so forth. More than 20 different uses of palm trees. That's what palm trees are for. (laughs) Apart from looking beautiful and sunny and exotic and reminding us of tropical holidays, they are useful. When we retire, as we've noted already, the big print says, from now on, your life can be one big holiday. But you also need to look down to the small print, because the contract that says retirement is one long holiday says in its small print, by the same token, you no longer serve any useful purpose. That's why you can have one long holiday. So don't believe what the retirement contract says. Don't believe the culture. Because it's certainly not so in the kingdom of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, love God and your neighbour. Develop and use your spiritual gifts. Play an active role in your church. Fulfil the Great Commission. Nowhere in the the Bible does it say any any of those things and then say, until you reach a certain age, until you retire. The Bible simply doesn't teach that way. And so the Bible dignifies old age and the work, the fruitfulness, that can be carried out in old age, health permitting. It dignifies it by the examples it gives. Moses and Aaron Joshua and Caleb, Daniel, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, all dignified people living for God's kingdom. You must know that in the early church, elders, think about what that word means, elders were appointed to lead the church. And older women were urged to teach what is good. The, Christian, the American Christian pastor and writer Rick Warren has written a very famous book called The Purpose Driven 
life. Because he's now in his early 60s, he's also talking these days about a purpose-driven retirement. And what Rick says, uh, amongst other things, is this. The Bible says that as long as your heart is beating, God has a plan and purpose for your life. To grow personally, to get to know God better, to serve others, to make this world a better place. In retirement, what we have to ask is, what's going to be the centre of my life? Because if you don't have a solid centre, it's going to fall apart. Now, one of the great joys of retirement is that it increases the opportunities that we may have for the kind of work, the kind of fruitfulness, the kind of usefulness to which we, uh, for which we have a great love and passion. In many ways, I have been passionate about my life as a nurse, uh, my working life as a nurse, a teacher of nurse, but not all jobs like that are like that, maybe in retail and factories, but on retirement, it may be that God does give us opportunities to do things that are useful, but also that we love and are passionate about. Are you, like me, passionate about teaching? Are you passionate about music making? About working with children? About befriending people? About shopping, both for yourself and for others? About cooking, gardening, fixing things? It may well be that you have a passion, or maybe even passions that you haven't yet discovered in yourself, that can be used both for your joy and blessing and for other people's good and benefit. So let me ask you this. Will you be still be sowing seeds, planting trees, mending fences, even when you may not, uh, may not live to reap any earthly benefit from those things? In other words, are you storing up treasure in heaven? Are you building with silver and gold? Be fruitful. The first one was be prepared. Second one was be fruitful. And now thirdly and lastly, be hopeful in and about your later years. I've talked about our purposes in, uh, in being useful and being fruitful. But beyond and behind our purposes lie God's purposes. And God's purposes, like God himself, are trustworthy and they are eternal. And so therefore we have an eternal hope in our God. Now in the Old Testament scriptures, eternal hope flickers like a candle. We read it of it from time to time, as in, for example, Psalm 73 and verse 24 where the psalmist says to God, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. That clearly is a glimpse of, uh, of an eternal hope uh, that the psalmist has. But by and large, it is fairly dim, it's fairly shadowy, this idea of an eternal hope in the Old Testament scriptures. But in the New Testament scriptures, this eternal hope glows and shines like the midday sun did today. Peter writes in his first epistle, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. Shades of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, and Treasure in Heaven that Hillary read to us earlier. Some of you will know the name of Professor Jim Packer, for many years an eminent um, teacher and writer uh, of uh, Christian teachings and, and Christian books. Uh, two days ago, Jim Packer celebrated his 90th birthday. He is now virtually blind, so cannot read, cannot write. I don't think he'll be writing any more books. Two years ago, he published what I think will turn out to be his very last book. It's called Finishing Our Course with Joy, in brackets, Aging with Hope. And in that book... Professor Packer urges us to run the final lap of our Christian race with unflagging zeal as physical and mental health allow. Why? Because we have a target, we have a goal, we have a prize ahead of us, and the best is yet to come. The Lord Jesus, uh, uh, Packer reminds us, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us hope of an unimaginably glorious future. There will be an effectual elimination of evil, an endless extrapolation of good, an ecstatic extension of fellowship with Christ and his people, and an eternal enjoyment of God's glory and beauty in ways that we cannot at present begin to conceive. So, as the writer of the Hebrews says in, I think, the 12th chapter, let us run our race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And what better opportunity do we have this evening as we gather around the Lord's table and receive those elements of his atoning death and remember that death until he comes for he is living, risen, and returning saviour. And so then, whatever the changing scenes of our lives, and who knows exactly what lies ahead, we will be able to testify to the end of our days with the words with which our psalm concluded, the Lord is upright, he is my rock. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we thank you for this faith of the psalmist who, although knew so much less than we and did not know the name of Jesus, did not know Jesus by name, yet knew that there was something about his relationship with you that meant that fruitfulness, even in old age, was a wonderful, a blessed thing to do and something that God was calling him to. May this be true for each of us, whatever our stage in life, whether in stage two or three or five or six or seven or eight, with the beginning, in the middle, or coming towards the end of this earthly journey. May we begin it uh, by being prepared. May we continue it by being fruitful. And may we finish it in hope. Amen.